I wonder how many of you are familiar with the number one box office hit from the year 2004, a movie called Man on Fire. It's a movie in which uh, the wonderful Denzel Washington uh, plays the role, um, the character of a guy called John Creasy, who's a, a despondent alcoholic, uh, former special ops U.S. Marine Corps reconnaissance officer, now turned bodyguard, who, uh, who's looking after a little girl played by uh, Dakota Fanning. Um, and... Uh, as, as any good Hollywood movie would go, um, he's, he's really, really doing a great job of being horrible, <laughs> of being unkind, of being, uh, you know, seriously into being influenced by the drink and the bad habits and the negativity from what clearly has happened in his life. But this little girl, through her consistent love and kindness and persistence, seems to find a way to break down the walls that John Creasy um, has put up around his heart. Um, she wins for herself uh, a place in, her, in his heart, really. And... Um, Again, because it's Hollywood, just as this, uh, what looks like a beautiful fairy tale turnaround starts to unfold, there's a twist. Uh, despite his best efforts of trying to defend her uh, out in Mexico City, uh, Dakota Fanning uh, is abducted. She's taken away. Um, he uh, shoots and kills four or five guys, but in the process he shot himself, and they managed to get away with her. Um, it's a really, really terrible twist. It's really, really uh, challenging for the heartstrings. It really, really pulls on it. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't stop there. Um, he ends up in hospital, and while he's in hospital, a little bit incapacitated, um, he can't really do anything to go and help. He's really frustrated. Uh, her parents uh, are, are sent a message that, that, that the guys who've taken her are looking for $10 million. Um, and again, uh, as the story keeps going on, some sort of a drop-off is arranged. John Creasy isn't there because he's still in hospital. The drop-off takes place. The guys get away with the money, and they keep the girl. It all goes horribly wrong. And of course, all of this just serves as real big fuel for John Creasy. The doctors say he's not ready to go. He's not well enough to go. He's still suffering from his bullet wounds. But in the moment... There's just something inside of his heart, this, this newfound love that he's got for this girl, this wanting to protect her, this, I guess, the special training from the past, from the special ops forces, kicks in, and he goes after these guys. And when I say goes after them, he properly, properly does. He does everything he can, and one by one, he picks off all the bad guys until he finally gets to a place where he gets her back to safety. Uh, even at the expense of his own life. And besides the fact that there was incredible acting from both Denzel and Dakota during this entire film, what makes this movie so amazing is the beautiful portrayal of sweet revenge. It's payback like no other, one by one, like I said. He's taken these guys out. And, and don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I am in no way trying to promote violence or, or killing people in any way. 
but there's something deep within each human heart that resonates with payback and revenge like nothing else. And throughout the generations, throughout the generations, vengeance has been celebrated. Unforgiveness has woven its way into the very fabric of our everyday lives. And Hollywood, Hollywood tapped into this and made a huge, huge amount of money as a result. 14 years on, I'm not sure anything's changed in human hearts. Our hearts are still unkind. Our, our hearts are still after revenge. Our, 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 our entire culture is saturated by it. And that's why I think this message in our identity series is yet again a crucial one for us to get, a crucial one to not only hear, but one in which we need to say to God, God, would you come and fundamentally change our hearts so that our lives could look different? And uh, before we get into it, I would just love to pause right here for a moment and just pray. Lord, Lord, right at the start of our time together, I just want to, we just want to pause, God, for a moment. We just want to open our hearts to you, Father. And I pray that you would do something deep in our hearts today. Do a deep work, O oh God. Lord, my prayer for us is that we will that we will live so differently as a result of what you teach us in the Bible. And that, God, as a result of what we do, as a result of how we live this out, people around us will take notice. People will be impacted by the deep work you've done in us. I'm asking this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're in the, we're in the final chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, in one of the final talks, as I've mentioned, uh, in our identity series. And I'm convinced we're looking at one of the most challenging parts of our identity today. We're looking at, we're looking at how to forgive. This is massive absolutely massive. massive. If we get this right, and if we not just get it right, but live in the fullness of this thing called forgiveness, every single person who comes in contact with you and me will pay attention. Doing life not only from a place of understanding and enjoying forgiveness, but joyfully extending forgiveness is one of the most countercultural things you and I could do in our lives, in a world where movies, TV shows, social media campaigns, entire political careers are built on payback and revenge, not only will extending forgiveness stand out, but it has the ability to change the destiny of people. I'm fully convinced of it. So, so let's get into a few verses together. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent a word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the servants of God, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Watch this. 
We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. This is a big moment in the lives of all of these men and women, all of Joseph's brothers and their extended families. Let me just, perhaps if you're new to us, let me just take two minutes and just rewind slightly back into the series if you haven't followed uh, the story so far. Earlier in the book of Genesis, Joseph um, had two dreams. And in both dreams, he, he basically... Um, he basically saw himself in a position that was elevated, a, a position of authority over uh, his brothers. And, and when he shared the dream with them, when he, when he, when he shared what had happened, uh, his brothers were so upset they decided uh, that they wanted to get rid of him. First they threw him into a pit, and later they sold him into slavery, not caring what would happen to him. And they then took his cloak, covered it in blood, and took it back to his, his dad and said he'd been killed by a wild animal. So to say... To say that they had wronged him is an understatement. And through the lens of our culture and through the lens of our own, your and my own sinful hearts, there's no way that serious payback wasn't going to be on the cards for these guys. Through our hearts, through our lenses, through what culture keeps feeding us, the only thing they had coming for them, if they ever were to meet their brother again, was some serious, serious payback. But Joseph did the opposite. He showed them mercy. He showed them forgiveness. He showed them love. When he met them again, instantly there was something in his heart that celebrated the fact that they were back together again, rather than remembering 20-odd years of pain and hurt and disappointment and frustration. And when he found out that his father was alive, he invited his father back, he invited his brothers back, and all their families back to come and share in the good of the land. They shared in the abundance of what he had come into, and they enjoyed living in the favor that Joseph was experiencing in his own life. He offered them complete forgiveness. But it's only when you get, it's only when you get to these verses, the ones we've just looked at, that you discover that his brothers somehow, they got it wrong, they... They kept living even during this time that they were with him and with his father and enjoying the abundance. Even during all of that, in the back of their minds, they were living with some sort of a sense that they were, that they were on borrowed time. They somehow thought that their forgiveness was temporary. They thought that their forgiveness was conditional. They thought it was only based on the fact that their father was still alive. And when Joseph receives their desperate panicky message, the Bible says that he wept. His heart was broken that they failed to fully grasp what kind of forgiveness he had extended to them. He, he wept that they'd been with him for several years alongside their families, enjoying the best of the land. And still they thought there was something that wasn't going to last for them. And and when their father died, he wept. 
because despite the fact that they were family and despite the fact that they were living together and despite the fact that they were just, just enjoying, just being together again after so many years, despite all that, they came, the Bible says they came and they threw themselves down in front of him and tried to take on the posture of, the posture of slaves saying, what can we do to work our way back so you just don't pour out wrath and revenge on us? Do you know what's, do you know what's even more heartbreaking? In a church like ours, in churches like ours all around the world, they are Christians, men and women who love God, who somehow have taken on this same posture, this posture of, this posture of being a slave. We come to Jesus, we, we hear the message of the good news, it radically changes our lives, we rejoice, we celebrate, we somehow manage to find our way walking into some of this forgiveness that we now know Jesus has extended to us. And then we mess up, we, we sin, we, we make a mistake, or for some reason we are reminded of something we did in our past. And in that moment, instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, the one who starts it all, and the perfecter, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, too, of our faith, the one who will continue perfecting the thing in us. Instead of keeping our eyes on him, we cast our eyes onto ourselves and our own sin and our own problems. We live the way Joseph's brothers live, lived. And it's terrible. The consequences are, 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 are devastating. Instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, we, we look at ourselves and we find ourselves in a real mess. Some of you have have lived with this posture of wanting to somehow be a slave and work your way back to the favor of God. And God wants to change that today. God wants to change that in your heart today. He's a good father. Maybe you're listening and you're thinking, I'm exploring Christianity. I'm trying to find out how this all works. And this is one of your big questions. This is one of the things that you've been grappling with because you know the things you did. You know, you know how bad they really are. You're thinking, can God really forgive me for all of that? And not just the stuff that people saw and the stuff that people are aware of, but the stuff that no one knows about, the secret, ugly, nasty, horrible things. Can God really forgive me of all of that? And the answer is yes. Praise God, the answer for you today, if that's your question, is yes, God says you've already, forgiven. You're, you've already been forgiven. In your mess and in your disappointment and in your letting other people down and in you causing other people, I don't know, pain, heartache, in you sinning against other people, in all of that, Jesus says he can extend his forgiveness to you. That's the good news. For you today, he can extend and he's willing to and wants to extend his forgiveness to you so that you can find freedom and destiny and purpose and abundance in him today. God sent his only son, his precious son, who never sinned, who never did any of these ugly things you and I are capable of doing. Never, ever did it. God sent him 
to die in your my place, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be shamed, to carry all of these things so that you and I, in exchange, can experience this freedom, this abundance. And, and not only are you and I forgiven, but it's the very foundation, it's the very, it's the very core thing that causes you and me to be able to extend, joyfully extend, forgiveness to others. If we want to understand how to be a people who forgive in a culture that doesn't, we need to keep our eyes on the cross. We need to keep looking at what Jesus did in Calvary. He died. A man who never sinned died in your and my place. We need to keep our eyes on that because if our eyes swerve away, if our eyes move away, if our eyes are on ourselves, that's where it all goes horribly wrong. We need to live from a position that fully knows it's not what other people have done to us. But it will enable us to live from a position where we know it's what Jesus did for us that defines us. It's not what the others did to us. It's what Jesus did for us. That's what shapes us. So step one in how to forgive is the cross is our foundation. We need to keep our eyes firmly on the work that Jesus did. And there's more. Watch this. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Because Joseph stayed close to God, he didn't just, he didn't just initially fix his eyes on God. He stayed close to God. Even in some of the most trying circumstances you and I could possibly imagine, he understood what God was about. He understood the big picture. He knew exactly what God was doing. Experientially, he even had it in his own life. He, he was a part of what God was doing because he was willing to keep his eyes on God. He knew that God turned even the most dire situations into platforms for abundance and freedom and grace. He also knew where he fitted into the picture. He knew he was just a vessel. He knew he was just an ordinary man whom God had chosen to work through by His grace. It's the, it's the second building block if you and I want to know how to fully, graciously, kindly, joyfully forgive. We need to keep God as our focus. When we stay close to God, we're consistently reminded not only of His wonderful promises of the most beautiful things over our lives, but we're very, very, very clearly instructed of the things He has for us. Not only the things that He's got for us to live in, but the things that He has for us to do, the way He wants us to live all of this out. Let me give an example. First Peter 3 verse 9. It says this. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, listen to this, repay evil with blessing. It gets even bigger because to this you were called. Repaying evil with blessing is what you and I were called to so that you may 
inherit a blessing yourselves. Peter clearly shows us in this passage that we are not responsible, as difficult as it is, we are not responsible for what happens to us, but we are responsible for how we respond to what happens to us. In fact, he goes even further and he says, living a life of forgiveness is what you and I have been called to. When someone shows evil, unkindness, something that hurts you, something that causes you pain in any sort of way, when you are wronged, when you are sinned against, you should joyfully extend blessing and kindness and mercy and love, not just because it's the thing to do, it's because it's the thing you were called to do. You and I were called to live in that way. It's massive. Without Christ's resources, without a deep understanding of forgiveness, the forgiveness Jesus brought for you and me on the cross, and with an in, without an intimacy with God where we really, really, really know Him, where we understand that we've been filled with the precious Holy Spirit who enables us supernaturally to do some of these things that you and I have been called to do without those things in place. I want to suggest to us that living this way is impossible. It simply is impossible. But with these two foundation stones in place, anything is possible. That's the promise of the Bible. He doesn't just say, you're called to this thing. You're called to live in a way that is so countercultural it's going to freak even you out. He's saying, I will empower you to live in such a way. But what about, what about the person who persists in their sin against you? The person who continually keeps wronging you? The person at work, the family member who keeps spreading lies because their only intention is to break up a healthy relationship that you have with another part of the family. What about those moments? What about your, your boss who just keeps coming down on you for no apparent reason? What about those moments in our lives? Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, you've been made righteous, forgiven, holy, and dearly loved, Clothe yourself, just like you're putting on clothes, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. There it is again. The first foundation stone. Forgive as fully as Jesus forgave you. Understand, keep your eyes on the cross, and understand fully what that means for your life. Enjoy the abundance of it, but also joyfully extend the abundance of it to those around you. And then it says, for those who keep sinning, Bear with them. Yep. Yep, it says, it says, bear with them. Bear with them. Even if they keep going, no matter what, bear with them. I think it's hard enough forgive, forgiving someone who sinned once, right? That's hard enough. That's a big deal. I want to shout it from the rooftops when I got that right. 
But the person who keeps going for it over and over and over, that's why we're told over all the kindness and the patience and the love and the compassion, oh sorry, and the compassion and the humility, we are supposed to put on love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Here's the big one. It endures all things. Love doesn't just forgive the person who's willing to say sorry. Love goes way, way, way deeper than that. Love bears all things. It, it bears the nasty. No matter how long they go on for love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. This is hard. This is, this is hard. Um, maybe you're different to me, but I, I mean, that is, that is hard. It means we stick with it, even though the other person keeps messing up. And when it says, repay blessing for evil, it means real, authentic blessing. Blessing that doesn't draw attention to the fact that somehow, some person has managed to wrong you. But it draws attention to grace and kindness and patience and love that flows from our hearts. Here's the problem that you and I face. When we live in this, when we live in this way, it means pretty much no one knows. When there's an ongoing thing, no one knows. When it pops up again, you don't have time to make a big deal about it. You don't have, a, you don't have time to post on your social media feed about it again. You don't have time to tell your neighbor. You don't have time to go home and tell your housemates. You don't have time to do that. No one knows you've been insulted. No one knows you've been lied to. No one knows you've been mistreated yet again. And everything inside of you and me cries out against it. It kicks against that. We don't like that. If no one knows, how will we ever receive pity for being such good bearers and endurers and being so patient? More important still, how will they recognize our magnificent efforts to forgive the person who's gone and done it again? Here's the real question we need to ask ourselves. Is the fact that God knows you've been wronged, the just judge knows you've been wronged, is the fact that he does enough for you and me? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about forgiveness. He says, We need to make every effort to kill the taste of resentment in our own hearts. Every wish to humiliate, every wish to hurt, every wish to pay back. Kill it. The Bible simply says we need to deny ourselves. It says we need to take up our cross and follow him. This is essential if we are to fully live lives of forgiveness. It's also essential because God told us in the Gospels, if we don't show this kind of mercy, if we don't show this kind of forgiveness to others, we shouldn't expect to receive mercy and forgiveness in our own lives. It's the real danger. It's the real danger of kicking against it. The third thing we need in place, if you and I want to be loving, grace-filled, 
forgiving people. You want to know how to forgive? Die to yourself. That is so, so hard. When we die to ourselves, it means we let go of the fact that we wanted desperately for our past to look different. But we mustn't miss that it also means, when we die to ourselves, it also means that we instantly step into the beautiful opportunity that God has given us to experience the fullness and the gloriousness of what He has planned for our fruitful and abundant future. Forgiveness is designed to set you free. Forgiveness is also designed to set the other person free. The person who wronged you, the person who caused you pain, the person who caused you frustration, the person who made you so angry. Forgiveness is designed to set them free also. When you say, I forgive, you say, I know what you did. I know what you did, and I'm not saying it's okay. But what I am saying is you are more than that. You are made in the image of God, and you are more than the thing you did to me. That's what you're saying. And you're saying, I want to enable you and myself to live in freedom. I want to enable you and me to enjoy this abundance God has promised. When you say I forgive, you live out the message of the good news of the gospel. When you say I forgive, you put on display what Jesus did on the cross for others to see. I truly believe that if we live in this way, it has the ability to change the destiny of everyone around us. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for, for the forgiveness you've shown us on the cross. I thank you that when you died, you said it's finished. I pray, God, would you help us? Would you help us to live in the fullness of that promise? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to keep our eyes on the cross? But I pray also, Father, would you stir our hearts so deeply that we would live lives where we joyfully extend forgiveness towards those by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.